This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep, deep, diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey everybody, happy Monday. Welcome into the Utopia Football Podcast. Great to be with you. Hope you had a great weekend, better weekend than the Texans. I'm Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast mornings on Sports Radio 610. Of course, joined by the Hall of Famer, my good friend and the senior Texans columnist for SportsRadio610.com and GalleriesSports.com as well, John McClain. Uh, John, how was your weekend? Aside from the Texans getting beat, how was your weekend? It was. I had a very interesting Sunday, Sean. It wasn't because of the Texans losing another game they were in in the fourth quarter. It was uh, Mattress Mac had the people who spent $10 million on furniture to be part of his promotion that if the Astros won, they got it free, free, free. So he had at his store out on I-45, all the people he called it winning all customers to come out and he brought in four Astros pitchers, uh, Christian Javier, Rafael Montero, uh, Luis Garcia and Hector Neris to come out. And so the fans could get their money in cash and, um, and get their picture with the Astros and every inch of the store. It's a hundred thousand foot showroom was just packed with fans. And I saw, I'm thinking, okay, all these people took part in that promotion, spend at least $3,000 and get it free, free, free. If the Astros win, they did. And instead of just mailing them a check, Mac wanted to do something special. And the highlight of the night when people had been very patient, here he comes with a wheelbarrow with $10 million. He couldn't wheel it by himself. So Hector Neris went out, took one, one arm of the wheelbarrow. Mac had the other one, and they pushed it in through the fans. And I'm thinking $10 million. How tempting would it be just to reach out a hand and grab one little one little bundle of hundreds? And it was it was amazing. You talk about it reminded me of P.T. Barnum, mm-hmm. and the fans ate it up. They clapped. They clapped for the Astros. Montero, by the way, said he's taking a physical today, and he will sign that three-year, $30.5 million contract on Tuesday. And all the players talked about what it's been like for them since the end of the World Series. They're still celebrating, and uh, the uh, – uh, all of them talked about how happy they were that Dusty Baker's back 
and they talked about things like trying to repeat as champions. And of course they talked about mattress back. So I have a column up on, on, uh, gallerysports.com about the event, the night, and uh, about what the Astros players said, especially about trying to repeat as champions, which they know how hard it is. But when you think about it, Sean, even if they don't bring back Verlander, still have six legitimate starters. Now that Montero's back, all the bullpen, best bullpen in baseball, 2.80, ERA 0.83 in the playoffs, they're back. And we know that uh, Jim Crane's going to bring in a couple of more bats. So even if they don't become the first to repeat since the Yankees did it three years in a row in 98, 99, 2000, they've got a damn good chance to do it. Yeah, it's it's. I'm looking at the pictures right now, John, from that event. I'm looking at the four pitchers. Mac, in this picture I'm looking at, looks like he's mimicking a baseball swing or something. And the four of them are looking at him with the most quizzical looks on their faces. Like, and who is this guy? Um, the, the scene of Mac wheeling the money out in Vegas, you know, our, our friend, John Lopez went on the flight with Mac to Vegas to get that money. Um, was, it's a remarkable visual. There's, there's no better salesperson, no better promo guy than Mac. I mean, he, he knew exactly what he was doing. So that 10 million in cash that he was taking out in a wheelbarrow from Caesars in Vegas is the 10 million that he then turned around and gave it in various size bundles to the customers who bought their furniture is that right that's right and i thought it, you know he won 75 and he had the others wired to him from iowa yeah. where he went to a reservation because people wouldn't take his pets <laughs> then he went to louisiana for another one and i thought it was really interesting lopez talked to us about it because he couldn't write it all in the column which is fascinating it's on gallerysports.com is and, and i've been to vegas a lot but I've never, of course, been behind the scenes. And what you do when you're picking up $10 million in cash, machine guards with with AK-47s and, and windowless rooms, and Mac went walked through and fans are yelling at him, hey, Mac, give me some of your money. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows Mattress Mac. And I'm wondering, what in the world does he do for an encore? I know he's got something planned for the World Cup he's going to disclose. But um, I'm guessing he'll do the same thing with Astros, but he's sure not going to get the odds that he got this year. Well, reportedly, he took a, a million and a half of it and turned around and bet it on the Cougs to win the uh, to win. The, oh, he the did. Four. That's right. Yep. The Cougars basketball team. That seems like a pretty good bet, considering how good they are. Well, it's not not just that, John. The final four is here in Houston. I mean, think about think about that again for Mac and his platform. <laughs> You know, that one of the biggest sporting events is the Final Four, and he, especially if the Cougs actually make it that far, he, like he was in the World Series, is going to be a central figure in all this. I don't think it's an exaggeration, John, to say that if you were putting a power ranking together of prominent figures, either with the teams or running the teams or surrounding the teams in this World Series that were that were on that celebrity stage, that were on that big platform, I, I don't think you get past the top 10 before you get to Mac. And I'm including players, coaches, and owners in all this. I like it's, he was a huge biggest story was dusty Baker. Next biggest story is probably any of the 2017 Astros that have been getting skewered for, um, for uh, the sign stealing back in 2017. 
I think probably James Click is a story as well as that's unfolded over the last week. There's probably a Philly guy or two that I'm missing in all this. Maybe Rob Thompson, the manager of the Phillies, was a big story because he took over partway through the season as an interim. And then maybe a Philly player or two, Schwarber, Harper, whatever. I mean, Mattress Max right there with all those guys as far as being a central figure in this World Series. It was interesting that the players were asked, and I think Lopez is writing about this for Tuesday, about what happened to him with the fans in Philadelphia may help motivate him because they saw what was happening to him. Hector Neris said he loves the team, and he said, I would never do what he does, meaning bet $10 million. But he said, God bless him. You know, they love having around Mattress Mac. And you're right about the Final Four. Remember, he won $15 million on Kansas winning the he did. NCAA tournament last year. Wouldn't it be something if he won two in a row? Mm-hmm. And I never thought when the, when the Phillies won the first game here to split and then McCullers got shelled, I thought, well, I felt terrible for Mac. He's not going to win it, but he sold enough furniture to offset what he bet on the 10 million but i felt bad for him because he had so much stake and then i'm thinking now if that could happen again if the cougars get that far if baylor doesn't i hope the cougars do yeah absolutely no question about that so that john it looked really cool that event um and you you have uh you have a write-up on it at gallerysports.com i have a column on gallery sports we have pictures of everything it was very, very interesting. I'm pretty sure. Well, I'll say I'm pretty sure I'll never do this again. Hell, I may be doing it in April if he wins the Final Four. Maybe so. John, it feels like to me, and we'll get to the Texans here in a second, but the Astros are so much fun to talk about. It feels like to me, like the the, the just in the aftermath of, of this World Series compared to 2017, that this one feels bigger around town. Like this one... The uh, the appearances of Kyle Tucker and Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman at the various academy stores had lines around the corner. There were people lining up to meet Jose Altuve the night before, sleeping outside an academy in Pasadena to to spend 30 seconds with Jose Altuve. Jeremy Pena, by the time people are listening to this, he may be in the middle of doing it, but he's doing an appearance today at a Raising Cane's where he's working the drive through in on the Gulf Freeway. That line is going to be out onto the feeder road for that raising canes. Um it's just you know the parade and every I know the parade was great in 2017. I don't know. This one just feel these guys feel like bigger rock stars now than the 2017. And the only thing I can come up with I have two hypotheses on this. One is that there's a more emotional tie to this team because coming out of what they came out of being universally vilified for the sign stealing scandal has a bigger emotional connection for Astros fans than just your conventional, Hey, we rebuilt the team and they got good and they won a world series. Like it was us against the world. It wasn't that way in 2017. They were just a, a good baseball team that won the world series. My other hypothesis is that back in 2017, the other sports in town were actually pretty compelling. You know, Deshaun Watson was a, was the, you know, having a great rookie season until he got hurt. Uh, but the Texans were not out of the good graces of everybody. The Rockets had James Harden. They were intriguing. Um, I think they may have just traded for Chris Paul that offseason. So the other sports were able to take their chunk of the pie. The other two sports now are terrible. And the Astros are the gold standard, not only in this town, but in their sport. Um, I don't know. I, it's It feels like to me this is bigger. Like this team, they're bigger stars now in this town than they were back in 2017. 
I agree with both of what you said. To me, by far, the main one is because they've been picked on. It's like your kids in Little League get picked on by everybody, and then your son hits a home run to win the championship, and you're even, you even celebrate more. A dark cloud's been lifted from Houston because of the Tarnished Championship in 2017, and I think the fans suffered along with them. The fans wanted them to win one that was not tainted, and they saw how relieved they were Hector Neris who came there here this season from Philadelphia he talked about that knowing what it meant to the players and uh, everybody in the in the in the office and on the staff about what it meant to them after what they've been through and I think the city feels the same way it's like it was like relief a celebration the agony of being of being vilified everywhere, and then the the exhilaration and the relief of winning. And this is, you know, this is a popular franchise. If the Texans rebounded and won the Super Bowl this year, they wouldn't. There wouldn't be this feeling that there is about the Astros because a lot of people have so many negative opinions about the Texans because of what they've been through from Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby and and where the Astros, everybody likes them. They're good guys. Nobody ever writes or broadcasts anything bad about it because they go out of their way to make sure players they bring in fit their culture. And as we talked about, culture is all about attitude, like a Luis Garcia winning 15 games during mm-hmm. the season and pitching twice. Ryan Stanek, the lowest ERA in baseball, getting a cup of coffee in an 18-inning game and only pitching twice after that. So, And and none of them complained at all. So I think people in Houston feel like the Astros are part of their family. Yeah, I do too. I, I, I don't entirely agree with what you said about the Texans just moving forward. Look, we're a long way off from this even being something where we can be proven right or wrong on it. I do feel like with firing Easterby, that maybe Texan fans are a little more ready to just, okay, if you start winning again, I can get behind this. But I think, I think you're right in that a lot of the moves they've made and decisions they've made as an organization in the last three years have certainly heightened the threshold for where fans are willing to get back on that bandwagon. But I think if they win, if the Texans win, I don't know that it's going to come with caveats for a lot of people. I, I think people are ready to have good football in this town again. Yeah, I said this season. I don't talk yeah. about the future, just this season. Yeah, maybe so. So much negativity yeah. surrounding this franchise, including, you know, everybody wants a new quarterback. Now, if mm-hmm. they get a franchise quarterback and he helps them win a Super Bowl in a couple of years, everybody will go crazy. But I've never seen a team in this city, and I've been coming here since 1962, that was as beloved as the current Astros are. I think it's fair. I think it's absolutely fair. You would know. If if anybody in town covering sports, John, you would have the perspective on it for sure. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Uh, all right, so that's a good segue. Let's get into the Texans um, yesterday. 
Uh, they lose 24 to 16 to the New York Giants. This game, John, looked a lot like every other game the Texans have lost this year, where it's clear who the better team is out there. Somehow the Texans are sort of hanging around in this thing. The other team doesn't feel like they're really emptying the chamber when it comes to their playbook. They're just kind of running right at the Texans defense and getting a bunch of yards. And then ultimately the Texans shoot themselves in the foot and the other team comes away with a victory. Um, before we get into four stocks up and four stocks down, what are your general thoughts on yesterday's game? When a team runs the ball a lot and don't have long touchdown runs, the games are going to be close. And that's what everybody does to the Texans. Nobody's coming out, throwing it all over the place. And so that's why they played so many games in which they ran them in the fourth quarter, including this one. You can't go one of six in the red zone. You can't have two turnovers in the red zone. Technically, one wasn't in the red zone. It was a terrible decision by Mills to throw for the end zone from the 29 after they'd been on the 14. And uh, I felt bad for Mills having a touchdown call back because Kenyon Green holding and knowing that Dexter Lawrence was going to be in his lap because the inside guys couldn't handle him just as they haven't been able to handle the really good defensive tackles they faced the last uh, three weeks now. And but. For Mills and Pep Hamilton to be so pathetic in the first half, mm -hmm. and I was tweeting like crazy, bench Mills and put in Kyle Allen. They didn't, and Mills threw for 284 yards in the second half, and it wasn't mop-up duty in which they were hopelessly behind. But for some reason, Pep Hamilton had him start throwing the ball down the field. I'm thinking, why the heck didn't you do this in the first half? It's a, they are woefully inconsistent they can't put together an entire game, and they fold in the fourth quarter. And I think that all the things we're talking about, Sean, are because they don't have a lot of talent. You know, they're the worst team in the NFL. They need a lot of help at a lot of positions. Maybe we should be praising them for being in, within games in the fourth quarter. But if you're a Texans fan, it is maddeningly, maddeningly uh, frustrating to see a team do the same thing every week. Every week. It's every week. It's the same exact thing. It'll be the same thing this weekend against Washington. I can almost guarantee you that'll be the case. Washington coming to town. All right, John, let's do four stocks up, four stocks down after this game. Let's see if we can find a few bright spots and make sure we highlight the spots that need improvement with the Texans. You are up first. Stock up. Jerry Hughes, who is being wasted at his age, had another sack. He's got eight. His career high is 10. He should shatter it. Could two tackles for loss, one sack, had another tackle for no gain. Is playing his butt off, and he's doing it without Jonathan Grenard. For the second year in a row, Grenard's had an injury plague season. And usually, if one guy, Jerry Hughes' age, is doing this, he's got somebody on the opposite side offsetting the attention he's getting. And he's moving back and forth and playing as well as he can. And I think people ought to take their hats off for Jerry Hughes and his homecoming to Houston. No, he's been great. I just wish it was Grenard who was doing what Hughes is doing. You know what I mean? Like, I, to me, John, my whole thing is if people are performing or overperforming or doing well on this team, I want them to be guys who I feel like are going to be here in three or four years at least. And Jerry Hughes is – Jerry Hughes might be one and done. He might be gone. Um, after this year, who knows? What did he sign? Did he sign a two-year deal here or a one-year deal? No, I think he signed for more than one year. I think he did too. Um, you know, it's been a good signing by Nick, no doubt. And Jerry Hughes has been really good. I just wish it was a player who was, 
you feel like was going to be a foundational piece moving forward. Um, but yes, credit to Jerry Hughes. He was really good again yesterday, eight sacks on the season. And so he's on pace for well over 10. He Johnny's on pace as Seth Payne pointed out on the pregame yesterday. He's on pace to become the only Texan not named JJ Watt to get 15 sacks in a season. Well, I'd, that'd be great if he was able to do it. I'd just like to see him be able to break his career out of 10, yep. which he's done two times. All right. My first stock up is, um, Christian Harris uh, yesterday, it was not a good day for the Texans rookie class overall. And I will say that'll probably show up. I would imagine in stock down in just a few minutes, um, but Christian Harris, his third game played a hundred percent of the snaps, John yesterday, two players played a hundred percent of the snaps defensively, Christian Kirksey, which has been the norm all year. And then Christian Harris, who's only in his third game as a professional football player with no training camp, having nursed a hamstring injury for the last three months. And I thought he played well. I got to rewatch the game today. Um, but I thought he was around the football a lot. He was making plays. He had nine tackles on the game, which is not always the end all and be all. But I feel like when an inside linebacker gets nine tackles, that's different to me than Jonathan Owens getting 12 tackles. Um, you know, because half of Jonathan Owens tackles are him pushing wide receivers out of bounds 30 yards down the field. Um, but I thought Christian Harris, from what I saw in the, you know, the first run at watching the game, I thought he acquitted himself pretty well yesterday. I thought there's a reason they drafted him when he was drafted, other than the fact he was the fastest linebacker coming into the NFL, running a 4-4-4 at the combine, and he is perfect for what Lovey Smith wants in his defense, a linebacker who can run, he can cover, he can make tackles, and I can't wait to see him over the rest of the season. When you look at, at positives about this team, there's a lot of young players to be positive about, and he's one of them. Absolutely. All right. What's your next stock up, John? Damian Pierce. We do this with him every game. He had the bad fumble. First one he's lost. It was critical. I never thought they were going to win this game anyway, but man, those two turnovers when he and Mills had him were just crucial, but he had the 44 yard run. Uh, he didn't get the ball as much in the second half because they went to the passing game, but uh, he's the best thing they got going from start to finish on their offense. Yeah, I, you know what, John? It's funny you say that. They went to the passing game, and I, I agree that it wasn't garbage time passing yards for Mills, although I will say the Giants were, I think, probably playing a little softer on defense just to kind of you know, get out of there with a win. I, they knew they could run the ball on the Texans once they got the ball offensively. Um, I would like to see them start throwing the ball more the way they were in the second half, go with a little tempo, attack downfield, not just because I think it would be more fun to watch, but because I think it would take some of the load off of Damian Pierce. I like that he only touched the ball 17 times yesterday. I don't need to see him touching the ball 30 times for a team that's going to be picking first overall in the draft. It's a complete waste of his odometer. Um, I'm not saying he shouldn't play or he should split carries with anybody, mostly because there's nobody on this team worth splitting carries with which is another failure that we can talk about down the road. Um, but uh, yes, I, I um, Pierce was, Pierce was good again yesterday. He he's the one really watchable thing on this team um, right now. My other stock up John is uh, Jordan Akins. Another big play yesterday. You know, it feels like since he came back uh, to this team, it feels like every week he's making at least one important play in in each game whether it's getting a key first down or yesterday it was a catch and run it was a tight end screen that he's he was able to get into the open field and make a uh break a couple tackles 
Um, I don't know what OJ Howard was doing on that play. If you remember watching that play, it's like OJ Howard is like waving him in like a third base coach. It was terrible. Dude, block a guy. Like you just go block somebody. What are you doing? But Jordan Aikens, three catches for 72 yards in the biggest play of the of the afternoon for the Texans. He's been really good. And he at this point, he's relegated Brevin Jordan to the bench. Brevin Jordan was a healthy scratch yesterday for the Texans. I think that they need to make an effort. Pep Hamilton needs to make an effort to try to get the ball to him six or seven times a game. He's more dynamic than Brandon Cooks, who came back in this game and had a 25-yard catch but didn't do squat on his other catches. And uh, uh, and let's be honest, Nico Collins had his first touchdown, but, man, he doesn't run like Aikens runs when he no. gets that ball. It was a short pass that he turned into a 46-yard gain. He was the only tight end with a catch. They need to get the ball to him more. I would agree, and they need to bring him back after this season because he seems to have found a little something. I, he, he, they need to – it's really weird on this second act that he's having with the Texans. Ironically, he played against yesterday against the team that he had signed with during the offseason, the New York Giants. That was a little wrinkle. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get to uh, stock down, John. Four stock down. Shouldn't be hard to find a few of these from the Texans' loss yesterday. What's your first one? Jalen Petrie. Jalen Petrie, who was not known for missing tackles at Baylor the last two years, has missed tackles. And he missed a tackle on Slayton. They could have stopped him for uh, – it was third down. He could have stopped him short, and they would have had to punt. Instead, he missed a tackle. And Slayton just went tearing down the sideline for a touchdown and way too easy for the Giants when you don't make your tackles. Yeah, John, I, and I, I respect that, John, that you brought up your former Baylor Bear first, that uh, you know you you don't ignore the uh, his green and gold that he bleeds, Jalen Petrie. Um, you, John, you watched, you watched every snap of Jalen Petrie in college. This tackling is really out of character. The bad tackling is really out of character for him, right? Like, it wasn't just – at Baylor, he wasn't just a guy who had good ball skills and was around the ball. He was a really reliable tackler as well. He was noted for his tackling, whether yeah. it was in the backfield, line of scrimmage. The ones he's missed have been in open field. You don't see guys coming up the middle and running by him. It's almost like the angles he takes. Yeah. But the, he took a bad angle. He still got his hands on him. If he'd taken a little better angle, it could hit him at all. Yep, absolutely. All right, mine, I'm going to stick with the rookie class, John. It was a rough one for Kenyon Green yesterday. out. As you pointed out, it's been his dance card has been loaded with really good defensive interior defensive linemen the last month or so. Um, Jeffrey Simmons two weeks ago, uh, the Thursday night game against Fletcher Cox, Dexter Lawrence, and this is saying something because I know at the very least Simmons had a great game against Kenyon Green. Um, Dexter Lawrence ruined Kenyon Green yesterday. I mean, he ruined the game for the for the Texans. Like he he was he was a destroyer of worlds. Uh, Dexter Lawrence was. Kenyon Green had two holding penalties that were declined by the Giants and then a third holding penalty that nullified a touchdown. And then on the very next play, on second and 25, he's the one that allowed the pressure. 
that forced Davis Mills to get rid of the ball under heat and it led to the interception. Um, Kenyon Green is going to want to burn the film from that one yesterday, John. I'm wondering, you'd think he'd be getting better. And all these guys he's going up with, Javon Hargrave the week before had three sacks. And in Quisenberry, the center, Scott's supposed to help uh, help out. Did you see those big guys running by him? Center is a major need in the offseason. And Greens should be getting better, and maybe he will against Washington. Yep, we'll see. All right, what's your next stock down, John? Uh, my next one is the first half, a combination with Davis Mills and Pep Hamilton. Awful play calling, awful game plan, and everything. Mills threw for 35 yards. Yeah. And then in the second half, they totally turned it around. So I thought those two, as opposed to the Philadelphia game, where they were great in the first half. It was 14, 14 at halftime. And then they were terrible in the second half. So they just can't get it together, and they deserve a stock down for their first-half performance when the Texans had three points. Yep, I'll, I'll add to that with my second and final stock down, which is I'll throw Lovey Smith, defensive coordinator Lovey Smith, into the mix. Um, and, and John, I just I, – I can't imagine these eight games coming up of having to watch this offense and this defense. And I don't mind talking about the quality of the players. I'm talking about what they do. You know, the, 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 whether it's Mills or Hamilton, their inability to attack down the field, at least when the game is still kind of in question in the first half, they weren't good. And this Lovey Smith defense, John, you drafted a cornerback from an SEC school with the third overall pick. And Derek Stingley's dropping 20 yards into a zone and giving huge cushions and, I'm watching highlights of Sauce Gardner manning guys up and bumping guys at the line of scrimmage. I, I don't know, man. This defense, it's just not fun to watch. It's its painful. And I'm not even talking about the their inability to stop the run. John, when these quarterbacks drop back to pass, guys are running wide ass open. Like I like wide open. Like I you hear all these scouting reports on quarterbacks like coming out of college, and they're like, well, you know, I like what Bryce Young does, but what's gonna happen when he has to throw into tight windows in the NFL? And I'm going, well, these guys obviously haven't watched the Texans because there's no tight windows that any of these opposing quarterbacks are having to throw into. These guys are running with nobody within 10 yards of them, and it was horrible yesterday. And even just really it's more of a Stingley thing for me. Like this feels like such a waste of a third overall pick watching Derek Stingley play in this defense right now. It's it's really infuriating to me. And those receivers running wide open are rejects from other teams. Yes! They're leading receiver Saquon Barkley, and the Texans are letting those guys get open, and those guys are lucky not to be on practice squad. Yeah, John, I, I, if they fire everybody after the season, I'm cool with that. Like, fire if they fire Lovey, if they fire Pep, if they fi keep Frank Ross. The special teams have been really good. Keep him and let him coach the special teams. But I – I, just stylistically, I can't watch it, man. It's 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 brutal. It's absolutely brutal. It's not a fun watch. I can, I can watch a one seven and one team if they're doing some things that are fun to watch. This team does zero other than Damian Pierce, who's going to be in a walker at the end of the year because of how many times he gets hit. Other than Damian Pierce, there is nothing fun to watch about this team right now. The only thing there is something fun to watch as they continue to roll toward the first pick in the draft and having a choice of any player 
in college football. And I'm guessing that'll be a quarterback unless Davis Mills does something extraordinary, which ain't going to happen with Pep Hamilton calling the plays, that would tell Mick Nicosario, well, let's ride with him one more year and let's go after a guy like Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, a great (laughs) tackle or a great pass rusher, and then take a receiver with the next pick. And I don't think that'll happen, of course, because you got to get a quarterback when you think you have to get a quarterback. And we did. You brought up Frank Ross. Special teams continue to excel. Cam Johnston had a 45.4-yard net. Kaimi Fairbairn, three field goals. He also had no kickoffs returned. They had uh, Tremont Smith and Desmond King had two good returns. So special teams played really well again. If this is who Mills is, John, if this is who he is the last eight games of the year, if he's the same guy the last eight games that he was the first nine games and he's back as a starting quarterback next year, then I I would have no problem with people saying, I can't watch this anymore. Like people just canceling. You can't trot Davis Mills out there next year. Now, maybe you don't use a pick on a quarterback, but man, go get somebody that makes it watchable. Like I, I would take Jimmy Garoppolo for a year over watching Davis Mills again. This sucks watching Davis Mills. It's terrible. And I still blame it on Pep Hamilton because the Mills we've seen every game is not the Mills we saw over the last five games of last season. Yeah. I said I I said that only if he does something remarkable yeah. over the rest of the season, which isn't going to happen. But that's not going to be. They got to get a quarterback, whether it's Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. They're going to be the first two picks, just depending on what's your cup of tea when it comes to a quarterback. Yeah. The th- I mean, the thing is, the two go hand in hand. If he does something remarkable, they're probably not picking first if he's who he is now they're picking first so the good news is chances are the two are kind of inextricably linked uh where they pick in the draft in mill's future all right so there's your four stock up four stock down a reminder we have a mailbag hou mailbag at gmail.com send those in we're going to do that tomorrow hou mailbag at gmail.com john before we get out did you watch the season premiere of yellowstone I did, and something dawned on me before we talk about Yellowstone. Yeah, that Jeff Saturday has as many victories as Lovey Smith. Yes, we got that text from a few people this morning. Yes, and I watched Yellowstone, the two-hour premiere. I taped it. I watched it. I, um, I, I understand they had to go through a lot of things with a lot of characters since John Dutton is the new governor. But I wish they'd come up with something in which it wasn't always people trying to take their land. And I also wish that Kelly Riley would, uh, that her brother Jamie would grow some footballs for a change. Okay, hold on. Quit- Who now? Kelly Riley is Beth. Beth, yeah, and okay. and Jamie is. Uh, uh, I want Wes Bentley. For him to grow a pair. Now she's got something on him, of course, that she's got to treat him like a dog because otherwise he'll go to prison, his own sister. But uh, I thought it's always interesting. I love the actors and the characters. And I, I and I thought it was good, but I didn't think it was great where all of a sudden I wanted to talk about it. But I'm hoping it will be. I'm hoping that Taylor Sheridan, who has nine projects, yeah. either going to be on Paramount are coming to Paramount, and he's writing several of them and producing the others and creating them. I hope he's not spread too thin. Is Tulsa King one of those, the Sylvester Stallone? Yeah, no, he's not. He created it. It's It starts, but he's not writing it. Someone else is doing it. Terrence Winter's writing it. Terrence Winter wrote a bunch of Sopranos episodes. He was one of the more prominent Good. Sopranos writers. Yeah, yeah. 
I can't tell from the trailer if Tulsa King is a drama or if it's like a drama slash comedy, you know? Like- it's a drama fish out of water where a guy from New York who goes to prison, gets out, the mafia moves him to Tulsa, and he's a fish out of water, and it's all the one-liners and stuff. Yeah. But he's going to beat up a lot of people. A lot of people are going to get killed okay. as he establishes himself in the mafia in Tulsa. Okay, I'm here for that then. I'm a big Sylvester Stallone fan. I, Me uh, too. Yeah, he's he's really, really good. I guess my thoughts on Yellowstone. I'm learning, John, between House of the Dragon and Yellowstone, what it is I like and what it is I don't like. And here's what I mean by that. I still haven't finished House of the Dragon yet because I got so bogged down seven episodes in with all the genealogy and who's going after the throne. And it's, it's my succession. No, it's your succession. No, these are bastard children. These are, can we just get back out in the field and start hacking each other up to be to pieces? Like we did in game of Thrones once, once a season, like, can, can we do, and, and I, maybe they did that by the end of the, by the end of the series. I no. Like I said, okay, well, good. I'm glad I'm not missing anything. Then I got so frustrated with house of the dragon. I like, you people must think I care way too much about learning all these names and who's who, and it just keep it simple for me. Similarly with Yellowstone, this is my fear is that what made Yellowstone so great, particularly like the last couple seasons was it got violent. It got, it got crazy. Like there were, there was some wild stuff. There was killing going on. Like there was some serious, serious angst between factions and things like that that resulted in some bloodshed. I'm guessing that's coming down the road here in Yellowstone, but right now these two episodes in, I'm like, all right, he's governor and he won the election and now he doesn't want to be governor. And he's mad at Beth that encouraged him to be governor and he fired his chief of staff. Like it's, it's like house house of the dragons is to genealogy. What Yellowstone, at least two episodes in is to political behind the scenes machinations, which I don't give a rat's ass about. Let's get back to the Duttons shooting people and bury them on, burying them on their land. I agree with you 100%. House of Dragons is more about thinking. You know, they yeah. they, they showed, more, showed more in childbirth than they did people getting hacked up. You and I are alike. We like violence and we like sex and Game and Thrones, and they didn't have either much of either one in House of Dragons, which, and that's why it wasn't as good as Game of Thrones. And I don't think it ever will be because that's not its style. It's probably and, weren't on the plane to Vegas with Mac, John. Yeah, you and I like sex and violence so much, and they were afraid to bring us with. <laughs> and then and then Yellowstone, you know, I want to see Rip. Rip, Rip, and more of Rip. By yes. the way, yes. you have a good friend who's going to be hanging out with Rip. Tell the yeah. listeners about it. Oh, yeah. So I was at a, a charity event on Saturday for the Shriners. It was, the, it was a rodeo event, but centered around benefiting Shriners Hospital. And it, so there was a, a rodeo slash cowboy theme to it. So the big auction item, one of the big auction items, was for you and a guest to go to Yellowstone Ranch in Montana for a bourbon. What is it like bourbon and I forget bourbon and bourbon and bulls or something like that. I forget what they call it. Basically go out to Yellowstone Ranch for like three days, campfires at night, ranch life. And Cole Hauser, who plays Rip, is going to be there hanging out with them the whole time. Like it's 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 badass. And so my friend Wallace Marsh who is one of my very best friends in the world. He was the best man in my wedding. He, we were guests of his there. He bought a table and he bought that auction for 25 G's. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow, I'm surprised it was that. I th I thought it was going to be six figures considering what you do. I'm guessing he's a big fan of Yellowstone. He's a huge fan of Yellowstone. He did the thing, John, that you like to do with auctions, or the 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 event did this with it, where it got to 25k, and then they had already kind of allocated for there to be like not just one, but like four couples that go. Yeah. So they said, who else wants to do this for 25k? And the first like three or four that put up their paddle. So they were able to take that 25k and turn it into you know 125. Oh, that's, that's great. That's going to yeah. be a great trip. They're going to meet Taylor Sheridan, the writer and creators from Cranville's Gap, Texas, 30 minutes from Waco, a town of 400. Yep, it's going to be cool. Wallace also followed that up by buying a house in Normandy for like eight days for 10 people for like some big wine trip or something like that for another 25 G's. This guy's unbelievable, John. He's he I'm, I was waiting for Mattress Mac to come in with a wheelbarrow of cash and just stick it right behind Wallace and tell him to <laughs> tell him to grab one for him, too. But uh, yeah, that that's that that's that Montana trip is going to be amazing. And they Cole Hauser did like a little video for it, uh, you know, encouraging people to you know, telling people what an awesome time they were going to have and get those paddles up and things like that. It was really cool. I'd love to know who got that trip set up. Somebody yeah. in Houston had the clout to do that. I'd like to know who that was. I would too. I would too. And I got to latch on to that person. That's next. All right. Uh, John, good stuff as always. I'm glad we got to break down not just the Texans, but some things other than the Texans as well. We, we'll we turn the Monday episode into a Yellowstone recap as well. As, as the Texans continue to work towards a number one overall pick, we might need to do that just to maintain our sanity. John, what do you got going on uh, on your various outlets? I have a column on uh, uh, Gallery Sports about Sunday night and with Mattress Mac and his $10 million in his wheelbarrow. I have on sportsradio610.com, an in-depth report card. And I'm going to write my first column this week on the player who came back to practice for the Cleveland Browns, Deshaun Watson, because every time I wrote about him for the Chronicle, it got a lot of clicks. And I think, sure, it's very interesting up there now that he can practice in preparation for playing against the Texans on December the 4th. Well, the good news is he can ease right into playing again because I don't think there's going to be a whole ton of studying required to get what they need to get against this Texans team in a couple of weeks. Hand it off to Nick Chubb right, Nick Chubb left, and Nick up the middle. That's it, man. That's it. All right, good stuff, John. Uh, Figgy Fig, we thank you for getting this podcast out quickly to everybody. And we thank all of you for downloading, subscribing, sharing, telling your friends. And sending us questions, mailbag at gmail.com. We'll do a mailbag tomorrow, so send them in, mailbag at gmail.com. I would imagine there will be a lot of questions about the future of the quarterback, the future of the OC, and the future of the head coach, and we are here for all of it for you. We are all in this together. Uh, for the great John McClain, I am Sean Pendergast. We are out of time. We will see you all tomorrow for a mailbag edition of the Utopia Football Podcast. Have a great day, everybody.